number one, nobody cares about you. You have to make them care about you. And then number two, in terms of communication dynamics, you really need to think about how you can make the consumer the hero rather than the brand. Hi, before we get on with this week's episode, I'd just like to say that Automated Creative are hiring. We're looking for a senior client lead as well as two client leads, as well as a head of growth, a senior Python developer and a React TypeScript developer. So if you would like to join a business that is absolutely crazy about the intersection of advertising and technology, then please give us an email at hiring at automatedcreative.net. Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative, and this is a podcast about the future of marketing. Every week or so, I have the pleasure and the privilege of interviewing one of our industry's leaders, and this week is no different. I'm on a call with Travis Gordon, who is Senior Consumer Insights Manager at Danone. So Travis, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you give us a bit of a background? Yeah. So um, currently I'm the senior insights manager on Silk. Um, so that includes soy milk, almond milk, coconut milk, and most recently our next milk. I've been with Danone about three years. Uh, prior to Silk, I worked on So Delicious, plant-based uh, frozen is what it's most known for, as well as plant-based yogurt. So all in the plant-based world the last three years. Uh, prior to that, I was at Mars Pet Care, uh, working on the dry dog food portfolio, including brands like Imes and Pedigree. Uh, and prior to that, I was in a marketing role uh, with Nissan North America, working on Centra or Centra Juke and Quest, uh, and then in an insights role before that. And prior to that, at a kids' toy company called Kids Two, which is a competitor to Fisher Price, uh, working on insights as well as product management. Wow, that's quite a mixed background. And uh, interested to know about Mars Pet Care. Mars Pet Care and an automated creative client. Uh, much love one of that. So yeah, maybe offline we should talk about that. So what I'm, I'm keen to know is, in terms of your role as a senior consumer insights manager, like. Can you help the audience understand what, what your outputs are? Like, what does your role entail and, and how do you provide value to the marketing organization? Yeah, definitely. So um, in a nutshell, I help the marketing teams uh, make decisions oriented around the consumer. So this inclu- could include you know, product research and innovation, as well as advertising and communication tactics um, and everywhere in between. And so really focus on a mix of the, what we call the base business, which is includes marketing, creative, uh, and communication, as well as innovation. So what's what's next big new idea in plant-based milk and, and how we can communicate that and get that across the consumer. So that's a, a lot of responsibility. And if you're having to keep track of all these trends and find all these insights and make these recommendations, there's a chance, I guess, you might get overwhelmed at times. So what is your approach to overwhelm? How do you make sure that you stay on your game and don't let everything get too much? Yeah, um, overwhelm is definitely prevalent. I'm sure that's something a lot of your audience members can relate to in a post-COVID world. Um, And so what I really like to do is focus on on myself and my own mental energy and my own well-being, Uh, what that looks like for me is you know a fitness routine uh, four days a week to really clear that mind and, and de-stress as well as some, some meditation and some mental health exercises. Uh, I really took note in the book Essentialism by Greg Cowan, who uh, talks about protecting the asset as he calls it and really focusing on yourself 
so that you can be your best in, in all aspects of, of work and life. And so I really think it comes down to taking care of yourself and protecting that asset. So tell me about the fitness routine. Is it the same every four days? Um, it varies based on how early of a meeting I have. So if I have a very early meeting, I have to get to work early. I'll work on the uh, the rower that we have in our house. Um, if I have a little bit extra time, I'll go to the rec center and swim laps, um, which is very good both physically and mentally. The silence of the pool and just really being present and focusing on breathing um, and really being very mindful of kind of that physical presence has been really beneficial for me. And what are the meditation techniques that you use? Are you an app person or are you pure self-guided? Um, I started with an app on um, Headspace and started to learn some really basic techniques um, and some transcendental meditation. And then I've been able to practice that some on my own uh, without the assistance of the app, which you just really uh, can't stress the benefits of that. Well, that is, uh, that, uh, it's really good to know that you've got that as a, a practice and that's something you can manage to do all the time. Um, so moving across onto marketing, I always ask guests, what is your top marketing tip? What's your favorite bit of advice that you find yourself using or sharing most often? Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's easy in marketers' day-to-day lives to really focus on the brand and, and make the assumption that people care about your brand. And in reality, you know, people are just trying to live their lives and looking for solutions to benefit themselves. And so the couple of things I like to say is like, number one, nobody cares about you. You have to make them care about you. And then number two, in terms of communication dynamics, you really need to think about how you can make the consumer the hero rather than the brand. And so a good example of that would be you know, a brand's telling me, oh, it's the best tasting almond milk, for instance. Um, consumers don't want to hear that. They want to be led to believe that they've made that conclusion themselves. And so that looks more like storytelling and, uh, you know, ingredients, um, storytelling and process storytelling around what it is that Silk does uniquely so that they can come to that conclusion themselves rather than, oh, yeah, Silk brand, you're telling me your almond milk tastes great. Well, of course you are. And so that dynamic is really about making the consumer the hero, not the brand. And so who do you think does that really well? You know, I think Peloton actually comes was the first brand that come to mind because they're, they're about empowering you to better yourself. And the, the brand really focuses on that aspirational lifestyle and that healthy lifestyle as something that improves your life overall. I think fitness companies in general really focus much on the, the benefits of the product rather than the product themselves and thinking about how this product can make your life better um, based on the empowerment of you and that they are a tool to make you better in whatever aspect of your life. So how do you think this, the, what's the smart way to balance making the consumer the hero whilst at the same time landing those important points of difference because like I know with the the milk example you gave you know the fact that it, it does taste better than competitors or has these ingredients or these benefits like those features and the benefits of the product need to be stated they need to be in the mind of the consumer at the point of consideration but yeah if you're constantly just making the audience the 
the hero is the danger that you won't deliver that as well so do you need to balance those two things and what in your view is the best way to do that yeah i think you definitely need to balance those two things um and i think one of the ways that you do that is looking at what what are some tiebreakers in the category what are some differentiators or what are some things that you can drive salience and brand salience um to you from in a unique differentiated way and i think a lot of that comes down to some really foundational principles of marketing and things like consistency across messages to create distinctive brand assets, um, singular singularity and focus of that message um, and focusing that message on the differentiation in the category. I think uh, a good example of that within plant-based is that brands that really win on sustainability and environmentalism and the, the green aspect of the category in a way that's unique and differentiated is a good way to, to break that tie. Um, when people are at shelf, all they want to know is like, does it taste good? Is it healthy? But then when they think about brand love and brand affinity, it comes down to what, what are some of the goods uh, and good things that the brand is doing for the, the world. This week, we are brought to you by Attest. Attest is a consumer research platform that enables brands to make customer understanding a competitive advantage with continuous insights. By combining unparalleled speed and data quality with on-demand research guidance, the platform makes it simple and fast to uncover opportunities with consumer data and grow without guesswork. So we're going to move on to your shiny new object now, which is neurological research, which sounds fascinating. And I'm embarrassed to say I don't know a great deal about it. So what is neurological research to you, Travis? And why is that your shiny new object? Yeah, I think um, at its core, neurological research is a central location test where consumers come in and they get fitted with an ECG skull cap, um, where basically it reads the reaction of the brain in certain stimulus. Um, I've used this most often with looking at creative uh, and advertising. And so what you can do with something like that is um, it measures a baseline of things like, okay, you show the silk logo, what part of the brain does it activate and fire against um, when silk is shown? So where is that memory stored? They look at the, the advertising and the copy say, okay, well, this activated the silk and therefore um, is getting message and brand resonance. In addition to that, you can look at things like, are they confused? Are they intrigued? Are they activating the memory? All in ways that the consumer doesn't even have to say a word. It's kind of kind of sci-fi, kind of black mirror, but you get this data based on the literal reaction of the brain to the stimulus rather than people having to post-rationalize or use their system to thinking. So it's really brainstem. It's really at the core of what people think and feel um, because it ties back to even before the point in which they tell you how they think and feel. And that whole field is just so fascinating um, because you get at the truth and the core of, of what people really truly want. And you can create principles around creative, like, you know, how many frames per second are optimal? What are some general rules of thumb? 
don't want to give away all the secrets, but, um, you know, basically you create these principles and this framework to inform future creative and it can really optimize on, um, campaigns in the future without having to do actual research. So playing devil's advocate a bit here, how many people can you put through an fMRI to get a significant read on what the, uh, an audience of millions would think? So interesting point there. And, um, Based on some research that Nielsen did, they, they took a sample size of around 30 uh, and compared the results to two or 300 people. And they found those results are, are very consistent in a very small sample size. And, and the reason being is that your instinctual, natural neurological reaction is more similar than different. Um, and because it goes all the way down to the brainstem, it, it really gets into like who we are as human beings and how we respond to certain stimulus in a way that's that's more more similar than different. So our business spends a lot of time optimizing ads in the moment because unfortunately advertising is incredibly context sensitive. So the example I give often is that if you know you see a McDonald's ad and you've just watched a documentary about veganism on Netflix, you'll feel different about that than if you've had like three beers and no lunch, right? So the, the context will change how you feel about it. So how does that get accounted for within this kind of in, in the lab process? So the way that I think about that is there's two strategies there. What you're describing is a, as a media strategy. And that's, that's a whole different can of worms um, as opposed to a creative strategy. And so at its core, the lab environment is simulated in the, in the sense that you have people's full attention. They are in a lab environment. But when it comes down to what people see and hear and think in that moment, assuming they're actually paying attention, uh, those would hold true across context. Assuming that, you, to your point, you, know, you wouldn't want to show a McDonald's ad after a vegan documentary, assuming that you have the right media placement. And so like those taking on two separate um, tactics and strategies that then come together uh, for the most effective campaign. But if someone's, I don't know, like thumbing through TikTok and then they've also got the TV on and they and they happen to see an ad, then that's nothing to do with the media by the context is that they're on TikTok and the, and the TV ads come on. So how do you account for that? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, that, I don't think that you do, honestly, with the neurological research. I, I think that those contexts are so situationally dependent that the idea of, of accounting for all of that is, is pretty difficult. Um, you know, we have other tactics where we look at messaging across social media posts and, and engagement scores, and they're very sophisticated around things like that to ensure we have thumb-stomping content. So, yeah, I mean, I guess you don't really to be to be transparent, but I, I don't think that there's an infinite number of situations that can occur that you can't necessarily account for in research. And so what you want to do is at least eliminate the, the variable of that by having more of a pure research environment. So one thing I'm keen to know if 
neurological research can support with. So as I understand it, you're you're getting a really true read on a large audience. Like 30 people is as good as or accurate as enough as 300 people and presumably 3,000 and 3 million, which is amazing. And you're seeing how people respond. Is it activating memory? Are they confused, intrigued and all these kind of things? But how are you able to measure things like intent? Do you have like uh, ads that people can click on and go and transact within this system or are you looking for purely reactions from the audience and not a kind of physical response i.e. a click or a purchase or intent yeah there are um specific algorithms that take into account multiple metrics within the neurological research that have i want to say an 80 or 90 percent correlation to in-market results and so what the Nielsen Neuro team has done is look at the total EEG scores from this neurological research and tie those back to the, the MMMs and the single source um, marketing data and have found the lift to be highly correlated to the neurological uh, reserves. So you don't actually look for... Um, any action from the consumer at that moment in time, but they've identified markers of action intent based on the brand resonance, the message resonance, and the EEG scores overall uh, for those particular spots. They're highly correlated to what happens in the market. <laughs> Travis, this genuinely sounds too good to be true, right? So I'm, I'm going to need to like look a bit deeper. So, so have you got a machine that can tell me how people respond emotionally to my brand. And the machine can also tell me whether a certain creative is going to drive a certain amount of um, uplift. That, that seems like a done deal to me. But what are the shortcomings here? What doesn't this do? I think you've already called out some of the shortcomings um, in the media placement, the contextualization, the, the fact that this is a study that is done with 100% of your focus and attention as opposed to what we know that to be the real life experience of people catching glimpses of ads or, or maybe listening in the other room or any of those. And so that's where, that's where the shortcomings are. I think you need to address those with some, some foundational understanding of distinctive assets and creating distinctive assets um, in an audio form or in a, in a branding form uh, so that partial impressions or half attention impressions are accounted for in that manner. And then how does it account for consistent exposure, right? So I, I watched a, a new creative for, for Dove yesterday that I've, I found kind of incredibly moving, but I have a long history with Dove, as in I've seen tons of incredible campaigns for those guys and you know, seen them disrupt the category. So I have a feeling about Dove, whereas if I'd just seen that straight off, like my reaction would be different because I wouldn't be recalling any memory, but well, maybe not. So how does this process account for consistent exposure to messaging? So it, it does in the form of, so Dove, for instance, you're, you're probably very familiar with the logo. You're probably very familiar with it as a distinctive asset. And so that is accounted for in those individual scores. Um, so when you think about the effectiveness of the brand and the branding itself, um, which is, of course, tied to previous exposure, then that is accounted for in the sense that the brand is stored um, more closely in your memory framework. And so that brand resonance that's measured within the neurological research uh, accounts for that in that it, it takes less for your, your brand to activate within those brains. Sorry, I, I'm assuming that this process is expensive. 
And I know you're, you're, not, not, a, you're, not, a, you're not a neurological <laughs> uh, researcher, sales guy, so um, you know you don't have to quote prices. But like, is this available to everyone, or is this is this something that's only affordable like to the, the knowns and the P and Gs of this world? Um, I think it can be available to everyone depending on budget. So I, when I was at Kids Two, we had a, a a budget that was about the size of one project here at Denone. And that's something that we, we could have implemented there. So there are uh, companies that are working on um, the technology to make this more cheap and available. I've had some initial conversations with companies that utilize uh, smartwatch metrics to proxy neurological research. And so with that capability in mind, basically you can, you can, uh, do neurological research uh, remotely in a way that's very inexpensive. And, and it does that by looking at the, the heart patterns and rhythms that change as someone gets a dose of oxytocin or serotonin or whatever hormone that may be and ties that to the neurological benefit. I haven't experienced it firsthand. I think it sounds very intriguing and it's something that mm. we're looking at pursuing. Yeah, definitely. So you'd well, presume, presumably you'd have a, you'd have like a much larger larger sample size there as well, and exactly. then people, people would have to opt. I'm, I'm hoping they'd have to opt into that, otherwise that would be like really weird. Or just for yes. very, very 2010. <laughs> they uh, definitely opt into that, and definitely should opt into that. Um, but when we think about the drivers of cost within uh, the study, I've already described it's the you know the equipment, the neuroscientists, the central location tests. Those are all drivers of cost, and and as more technological advancement towards neurological research happens, you expect those barriers to get lower and lower. Um, even just in looking at beyond marketing and human, human and psychological research, it seems like neurological advancements are, are taking place and that we're finding a lot of really interesting studies. Um, there's a gentleman by the name of Andrew Huberman who has a podcast interview on Tim Ferriss. I would encourage everybody to listen to. It talks a lot about some, some neurological dynamics from a psychological perspective. And it seems uh, I'm observing that there seems to be some advancements in that, uh, that field of research, which is super exciting for me, both professionally and personally. Well, Travis, I would love to keep on picking your brains about this, but unfortunately we're at the end of the podcast. So if someone would like to get in touch with you about this any of the subtopics topics we've talked about today, where would you like them to do that? And what makes a killer outreach message to you? Oh, we get so many outreach messages, uh, soliciting sales. It's, um, it's well, let, let's, ed let's educate the audience. <laughs> let's educate those salespeople. What makes a really good message that you respond to? Um, concise and demonstrating a unique value proposition. Um, and getting in touch with me via LinkedIn is probably the best way to do that. Um, but in terms of differentiation, you know, we, there's a million research companies out there. They're all kind of saying the same thing. It's like, oh, well, we get, we get to the core of the consumers, we get to the psychological consumers. Like, what unique methodologies and approaches do you have that um, no one else does? And that's, that's pretty difficult from a salesperson's perspective um, to communicate in literally one or two sentences. Um, but that's one thing I'll say not to do <laughs> is uh, someone contacted my personal email to solicit some business yesterday. And that was so frustrating. I don't think I'll ever use that company. I think we all try to create barriers between our work and, and personal life. And that, that seemed to cross that barrier in a way that just really irritated me. <laughs> 
Right. Well, whoever did that, stop it. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay, Travis. Look, I really enjoyed that. Thank you so much. Yeah, Tom, appreciate your time. Hi. Just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also, if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything, I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.